Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network, the Authors on Fire podcast. I am Pat Rulo, and I'm here today with a Firebird Book Award winning author to share with you, Don Allen Holbrook. And the winning book is titled The Ghost of Rio Grande, which came in second in the always crowded historical fiction category. Don is a distinguished economist and former certified economic developer. And while his professional journey initially revolved around economic development, He has since dedicated a significant portion of his efforts to crafting historically-based action-adventure fiction novels set in modern times. And by skillfully intertwining mystery and conspiracy thrills, he connects readers to the past, taking them on journeys that keep them on the edge of their seats. And his latest literary endeavor takes readers on a captivating journey through the pages of The Ghost of Rio Grande, our prize winner. The untold story surrounding the U.S. invasion of Mexico and Germany's clandestine manipulation of the southern border during the tumultuous era of World War I. And I am intrigued and ready to find out more. Welcome to the network, Don. Thank you, Pat. It is my pleasure to have you here, and congratulations on winning the Firebird Book Award. I was so happy to share that with you. Oh, great. I, you know, it was wonderful waking up to that message. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is a great message. This is a great thing for to wake up to. <laughs> I'm happy about that. Now, before we dig into your book, we talked just a real brief bit here about your past. What events then moved you to become a writer of fiction? Well, you know, I, I started out writing nonfiction uh, because of my background as an economist in the economic development field. And I, I toured and spoke um, all over the world and, and uh, I used my books to support my tour and everything. So I did that for a long time and I just kind of got tired of it. But I, I met a lot of really cool people by traveling and doing the things I did. And, and I heard a lot of great stories. And I just decided one day, to the chagrin of my wife and everybody on my team, that I was going to start writing fiction. <laughs> and I wanted to write down some of these stories that I was fascinating with myself and I just decided to make that move and it's been a lot of fun and I've really enjoyed it and it's uh, a whole new chapter in my life I guess. Yes we're not one note and a lot of people feel a little concerned or afraid to break out of what they are accustomed to and so you know I always say to people if you've got that dream or some passion in your heart and even though people surrounding you might think you're a little bit off go for it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, uh, I, I give my wife tons of credit and kudos because she, uh, even though she had a lot of reservations, <laughs> uh, what I was doing, because I was at the top of my game, you know, yes. and, and I said, I, I just, I'm, I'm just kind of tired of it. And uh, I want to, I want to do something that I want to do. And uh, I switched and she supported me and said, you know what? Go for it. Go for it. That's what you need. You need a supportive person and look at you now. So uh, I'm glad all of that worked out. Your book, The Ghost of Rio Grande, is based on a true person, a true story. And you met Dr. Garcia to help you co-author this book, or at least be the storyteller of it. Before we dig into your book, how did you meet him? And then why did you think that the meeting of him and his story was something that you had to uh, write about? Well, a great question, Pat. Um, Dr. Garcia, his great-grandfather was the ghost. He was uh, Fabriciano Garcia. Uh, he was wrongfully accused by the Texas Rangers. 
and uh, and he defended his family and his and where he worked and, and one of the rangers got killed but it was because they were the aggressors and at the time they were doing a lot of really bad things to the Tejano population down there uh, I met him uh, really during COVID I mean it was the beginning of COVID I was kind of bored and my my wife said um, why don't you put out in the in the author's guild that you're available to to do some coaching or whatever and he he saw I, I guess he must have seen the uh uh, solicitation on uh, one of the websites or something, and I, I just turned on the little button that said I was available. I didn't really do much marketing, mm-hmm. and he got a hold of me and said he had this um, family story about his great grandfather that you know, and told me about him being wrongfully accused and how he killed the ranger in defense and that was accused of it, and they chased him all over. So I thought, wow, this is really fascinating, and then it. He, uh, uh, we just hit it off. I mean, there's no other way to say it. I mean, we, we've been a team ever since we, I just enjoy him. And, and he told me the story and I said, wow, that's really cool because my grandfather was down there with General Pershing and wrote the General Pershing to, uh, to invade Mexico and oh. allegedly, uh, capture Pancho Villa, which they never did, by the way. Uh, but, uh, so we had that, our, his mm-hmm. great grandfather and my grandfather were in the same area on the border conflict and probably, uh, uh, in the same vicinity. And I thought, well, this is kind of a cool way for me to work in what I've always been told from my family and his family. And we just started talking and just, I just, and I, I and he, he gave me the, the basis of the, of, uh, what his grandfather had been accused of and things. And then from there, I, I took it on a, well, I call it my, um, Tahano Forrest Gump story. I, I, mm-hmm. I make him call it. So that's where the fiction comes in. I take him through all kinds of events that really happened that most Americans don't read much about because mm-hmm. it was kind of covered up, which made it fascinating to me. Oh. Um, because um, most Americans, Pat, don't know that the, the Mexicans signed a treaty with the Germans and, <laughs> but, and during World War One, And so they were basically on the side of our enemies. Mm-hmm. And so I decided this was the kind of tale I wanted to to work on and we just had a great time uh, working together. I think he was exhausted when it was over because he didn't realize what went into a a book. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love how, how events like this are so organic. It wasn't something that was planned and just kind of unfolds. And then especially since you have some familial ties to the area, that just makes it a little more important, I think, for you have to take on this project. Yeah. It intrigued me, Pat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I'll say one thing. I was I was at a party this weekend for Halloween, you know, and, and there were some writers there, and we all talked. We were all talking, and I said, you know, the thing that gets a little sometimes for a writer, you know, especially if you've been successful, people always want to come up and tell you stories, right? Mm-hmm. And they want they. And I think every human has a story. By the way, they all have stories. The, the problem is you have to figure out which one's going to sell enough books to actually pay the cost of doing it, right? Mm-hmm. And but they all tell you stories, and you have to. And sometimes it can get tiresome because you know you go to a party and yeah. people tell you stories. Um, and my wife knows to free me sometimes if I get pinned down. Um, but uh, you you never know when you're going to hear that pearl. That's just um, you. You're glad you listened. Mm-hmm. That's so true. You should just have a little business card made out and said, write this down and I'm going to do a mishmash anthology and we'll consider it later, you know, and that way you could just enjoy your party. 
I wish it worked that way, but, uh, but you know, it, it's, it's part of the business. I mean, you have to learn. I mean, I got every story I've got that I put out Pat, has been told to me or, uh, has somebody initiated the, the, mm-hmm. let's call it the curiosity. And then they, they may not have had this story the way I wrote it, but they gave me something that gave me the idea for the story. Mm-hmm. And it's all from listening to people tell stories all over the world. All over the world, I've, I've, been, I've heard people tell me some great stories, and sometimes they don't even realize the potential of what they're telling you. And then I, I of course, get it and go, wow, this could be really cool. We just have to do some more research. You still have to do all the research, as you know, and and do the backgrounds and figure out a, a plot and an arc and all those things. But it does give you a good head start when people give you some ideas. Sure, you never know when the story will find you. Um, <laughs> That's and, exactly right. Yeah, and then what you end up doing with it is uh, quite another thing. So if you like, maybe just give us a little peek into the book, a little bit of the storyline, just so we can tempt our readers. Sure, sure. Um, well, at the time, this this book is set uh, 1914, right after the Mexican Revolution, uh, and it goes from 1914 to 1919, so just after the end of World War One, and it starts before the before America actually got into the war. Uh, there was a whole plot down in the southern uh, in Mexico in Mexico and along the border there for um, the Germans paid paid the Mexicans to uh, basically invade the U.S. and keep us busy on the border so that we wouldn't enter World War One because they figured if we stayed out they could win World War One and they probably would have to be honest with you. Uh, so and there was about a third of the population of Texas in 1914 was German ancestry. So it was a heavy uh, heavy German uh, ancestry in Texas, which a lot of people don't know. Uh, but if you go down there today at New Braunfels and all that area, mm-hmm. that's all German. And so uh, they uh, kind of enlisted the Mexicans to harass us along the border. That's why Pancho Villa raided into New Mexico. And then, of course, the Americans decided to send a punitive force down to uh, uh, capture or, or kill Pancho Villa and his, his men, his army of the north, as they call it. And at, mixed into all that, along the border, uh, Texas had its own issues and problems, which was that uh, about that time is when they discovered oil. Of course, Texas had a lot of oil. So the the, the white landowners, um, they uh, decided, the ranchers, they decided they were going to come up with a theory where the Tejano ranchers down in the southern part of Texas, uh, which were all of Spanish ancestry, and they had a lot of them had Spanish land grants, they were going to declare those all those deeds for those ranches as invalid because now Texas was a part of the United States, and that they got the courts to deny that those uh, deeds were now valid. And they started confiscating the ranches down along the border and, and South Texas and everything. And uh, they used the rangers. They kind of weaponized the rangers. The governor was very corrupt. He was later removed from office. And, of course, they did uh, They did eventually uh, disband the rangers because of their, uh, their corrupt reputation at the time and their cruelty. They killed way over it. They, they hung and killed over a thousand uh, Tejano uh, ranchers and owners of land. And it was just a brutal, a brutal time for Tejano people down there in South Texas. And caught up in all that is our hero, 
the ghost. Um, he worked on a, a ranch, um, and his father-in-law was the ranch foreman in charge of the ranch. And the rangers came to confiscate the ranch. And of course, the owner stood up to them and said, "No, it was my ranch. It had it for you know two generations." And uh, a gun, he basically uh, they gunned down the owner. Uh, and so Fabriciano, who's the ghost, and he uh, he saw all this going down, and he came out and and tried to help his father, and he wants father-in-law to get killed. And he he roped one of the rangers and rode off, pulled the ranger off his horse and drugged the ranger, and and he got and the ranger died later of uh, injuries. Well, the rangers made him into. Uh, the most wanted man down there and they chased him and he had to leave his family and his wife and he had to go on the run. And this story takes you on that, uh, what it was like for him to be on the run for five years from the ranger, mm -hmm. from the rangers. And they, they were pretty, uh, focused on trying to kill him and get him. But he, the reason his nickname was the ghost from the people and from the media was because they could never catch him. He'd slip through their, He'd slip right through them every time, and and sometimes in gunfights he'd just ride right through them, mm -hmm. and they, they never shot him and never could capture him, and he would try to disrupt uh, the corrupt practices of the rangers when they tried to make a, a raid on a farm or a ranch. He would he would try to disrupt those things, and and eventually he uh, decided he had to take his cause. He had to expose the rangers and expose their corruption, which he did, and then he uh, he. Kind of as we talked earlier, Pat, he stumbled onto this whole plan of San Diego for the Mexicans to take back uh, California, New Mexico, Arizona, and Texas as part of their deal with the Germans. If they won World War One and the Mexicans, uh, you know, played along with the treaty, they'd get these states back and become part of Mexico. And he kind of stumbled onto that. So in our story, we. We really, uh, and that's the part that's really fictionalized. I mean, you know, I just, that stuff was going on and I decided to make him our center point to mm -hmm. draw attention to it for the readers. And I give him a really interesting part in the story that, but, but he had a, an ally down there that owned a hotel, um, called the Laborde Hotel, which is actually real. It's down there. I actually went and visited it. And that's where he, uh, hit out. Mm -hmm. And, uh, this, this, uh, man that owned the Laborde Hotel was French and he was actually a part of the French intelligence network. And mm -hmm. so he, uh, of course, Fabriciano didn't know that at the time, but he hid out there. And so we, we include that in the story and give people a lot of history about what was going on and how the Germans plotted to pay us. And a lot of people don't realize, mm -hmm. Pat, that the reason Pershing went down there was really President Wilson used, uh, Pancho Villa as the excuse for us to send troops down. But what they were really looking for, and this is, this is all true, was uh, nobody could ever, my grandfather used to always say he never understood why we never caught that bandit because they had 10,000 American troops. And he said, I, don't, I never understood why we never caught that bandit. I heard that so many times as a kid uh, that I thought, wow, this is a great way I could really tell the story. And I found, what I found out was they weren't really chasing the bandit, Pat. They were trying to intercept the German gold that was sent to the Mexicans mm -hmm. to pay them. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to get that gold and make sure the Mexicans didn't, didn't get it. Get it. Mm -hmm. And that's what it was really about, was trying to find this uh, $12 million in German gold. So that oh. we expose that in the story as well. And of course, in the story, our, our hero um, not only exposes the Rangers, but he finds out about the gold and they, they have a little 
a little hijack, let's just say that. Mm-hmm. Wow. The weaponization in so many historical and perhaps even current government entities for land grabs. And, you know, so many people don't even think about that or or know it. So when you talk about the Texas Rangers, I'm sure many of the readers didn't even know that. Well, yeah, they, they got disbanded uh, during this era because of the cruelty that they were, mm-hmm. they were notorious for. The people, especially the Hano people, have really never, I mean, the current Rangers are nothing like the ones that were sure. back then. I mean, I want to make sure we're clear on that. Right. Well, there's whole no new, whole need. New thing, but yeah. whole new law enforcement agency, and, and they, they were revamped to many years later during the Bonnie and Clyde era to help with that. But they were disbanded because of this cruelty and the Tahano people still remember. I mean, this, oh, but see, people thought they were taking the land path because of cattle, that they thought they wanted to have mm-hmm. these big cattle ranches. And it was because oil was discovered, mm-hmm. oil, you know, black gold. Yep. And these, these rich white uh, ranchers from mostly up in the middle and northern Texas decided, hey, this is, we need to get that land because we're going to put oil wells yeah. on here and we're going we're gonna to get even richer. So it was really about oil that they were grabbing on this land. So fascinating. You know, you do a fine job of weaving fiction, history, politics, crooked government, border issues. There's just so many things that you wove together into this and rather seamlessly. Well, thank you. That's why I call it my uh, Tahano Forrest Gump. He meets all kinds of really interesting people in the book. That he he didn't meet some of the. You know, of course, you know he didn't really meet Winston Churchill and and some of these other people. But in the book, he does. So he does. That's why I, I nicknamed him my Tahano Forrest Gump. He meets all kinds of really colorful characters from the World War One era, which there's not a lot of stuff written about that era, 1914 to 1919. Mm-hmm. And and of course, it you know it. Uh, uh, culminates at the end, and in 1919 was the Spanish flu, so that swept the world and killed a lot of people, which had, during COVID, uh, and remember I started writing this during yes. COVID, so that's why I nicknamed it also my COVID Western. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about pace. The pacing had to be really well thought out and very deliberate, but in order for this to be the book that it is, that had to be a consideration for you. Let's maybe talk about that for a moment. Sure, sure. Well, authors, um, we we worry about pacing, as you know, because if you get a reader, you hook a reader in the very beginning, uh, you know, the book hook thing, mm-hmm. uh, you have to hook them in the very few first few pages, and then you have to get them emotionally interested in the characters, invest them in the characters, and make them want to, you know, root for the characters and want to know more and open up some... In my case, the books that I write are always about curiosity. You know, I want to know what happened. I want to know why this happened. So you, you then, then the, the part that scares you is just what you said, Pat, the pacing. You've got to keep it moving. I mean, you've got to keep that reader getting stuff happening. So I went through and looked at all the events that we really don't know a lot about and that maybe were even, I won't say covered up, but they were not... Um, overly discussed in our American history about what happened in Texas and Mexico and Mexicans being allies with the Germans. Uh, so I decided I, I got a list of events and people that were really important that became prominent later in life, like Winston Churchill was one of them. Uh, and I had to figure out what could I put in and how could I get him there and how could I make it plausible that this you know, poor uh, a guy from South Texas along the border down there at the Rio Grande could meet these people. And I had to create a plausible reason and way 
for him to get involved and drive the pay. I had to have him be the driver. So he drives the whole story. Mm-hmm. It's all about him trying to, to get uh, clear his name and get back to his wife. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wants to be back with his wife. So, but in the meantime, you know, he became a quite famous, you know, uh, gunfighter. Uh, he was very good. He had a he had a pistol that was a Schofield, which was a very famous gunfighter's pistol at the time that his father-in-law gave him. But he wasn't a gunfighter by training. He became he became proficient and good at it for survival. I mean, this is not something he set out to do. And I had to have him drive this whole thing, and that's where I used the German conspiracy to make it global. I, I used his accidental discovery of the German gold uh, situation and their their uh, plan to intervene with his friend, the Frenchman. Uh, that's what linked him to the rest of the people in the story that takes him all over the world. As, and, you know, imagine being from South Texas, Pat, you've never seen a building more than three stories tall mm-hmm. and you arrive in New York city and see the skyscrapers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, it's just, I mean, you have to think about that. Right. And then you see the battleship, the Arizona and the Harbor. I mean, the biggest ship he's ever seen in his life. And it's sitting out there in the, in the heart. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that the, that, uh, the ghost gets to see. Um, he doesn't really uh, understand all this stuff because he's from a poor little town of about 800 people. And he sees all these. And then, of course, uh, he has to go to Europe to help his friend. And he gets to see the brutality of World War One firsthand, and you know, and we we see it from his perspective, mm-hmm. the Zeppelins and bombing Paris, and and it's it's just really cool. But the pace, I had to keep him. I know as people that read it, I know when you look at the reviews, they all say the same. Wow, it just moves. I have mm-hmm. to keep it moving, mm-hmm. and I have to keep him on the run all the time. Yeah. Exactly, but at the same time, you don't want to go so fast that uh, there's a there's a delicate balance in pacing. And for your book in particular, I don't know why it struck me. I don't often talk about pace, but um, yeah, well, it you're me. right. It was a lot of. I mean, there was a lot of things that we knew about uh, as a, in our own history, and there's a lot of things we didn't. And I had to weave all that in, and I had to. I had to give enough explanation and enough time for, you know, each scene had yes. to have, it had to um, be complete enough to where you felt uh, emotionally satisfied, satisfied at the end. And, and the most thing, important thing for an author is when somebody reads a book, uh, when, they, when they get to the end and they get to the ending, they have to feel like it was worth their time, mm-hmm. that they have to be emotionally satisfied. Mm-hmm. So you have to fill in all those blanks in the pacing to mm-hmm. make sure that they feel that way. Well, job well done. Something else that surprised me when I first started reading it, right at the very beginning, as you say, you've got to hook them and get them invested, which you did. And I had this mental picture of the confrontation of the Texas Rangers when they showed up. And then all of a sudden there was this sketch and I'm like, oh, wow, that's kind of exactly what I had in my mind. Again, that's kind of a dangerous thing to do because I might have had a different thought in my mind and then a a sketch appears that was not congruent with what I was thinking, but yet here it was, and it and it made sense to me. Well, one of the gifts that he was given by his wife was a was a journal, uh, and he wanted her to see the world too. So he kept a journal. So when you're reading the book, you're actually reading his journal, and he he became he started uh, sketching the things that he saw. So you notice that they were they were the sketches were all very um, what I would call rough, like somebody drew them with a pencil. Yep. And that was him. That's his way of showing his wife. So this book is his journal and his sketches of what he saw. 
Did you have that journal or did you? No, no, I just, it was just a a rumor that he kept one. And of course, in the beginning of the book, you see his great grandson discovers the journal. Right. goes on the, and that's why you, you see the book laid out the way it is. It's laid out to kind of make you feel like you're reading his journal. Exactly. All right. Pictures are dangerous for sure. authors. Most authors don't, I mean, and this publishers don't want you to yes. do that either because they waste pages. But yeah. I felt in this case, it was worth the venture because I wanted people to get the feel that they were reading his journal. Yeah. So let's talk about your audience. Who did you think you were writing this for when you wrote it? And right. is that the audience or did you find an unexpected audience as well? Well, that's interesting. I, I, I wrote it for my typical audience, which are, I would say, um, people that are very interested in history, especially adventure history and military history. Um, it's heavy male. Most of my, uh, you know, it's, I won't say it's all because I have a lot of female readers too, but I would say it's, it's predominantly male. Let's put it that way over, over 50%. And, um, uh, so I wrote it for my traditional audience of people that like adventure thrillers and especially that are military and mystery oriented. And then what we, what I didn't realize is how many, um, Hispanic people in the world there are and how, and how there's so few books where there, there's a Hispanic hero, but very, very few where there's a yeah. Hispanic hero. And so that Hispanic audience has, uh, really, surprised me and that's why we did a spanish version of the book yes. of, i don't know if i told you that or not, but we did a spanish version recently that just came out yeah. and of course he's called el fantasma which is what the people call them mm-hmm. down in texas um which means ghost and uh that then got the attention of hollywood so now we're in negotiations with a major production studio in, in hollywood to make this into a movie and of course have uh tahano uh tahano who tell the story of a tahano hero and I've got some very good interest from some major Hispanic uh, movie stars that wanted to be in it because they want to tell their people's story. Mm-hmm. And that's just surprising. I didn't see any of this coming back. Oh, wow. I'm so happy that's happening. I even made a little note here to say that it's so suitable for a movie adaptation. And there you go. Well, there are. Trust me. They're, they're, it will uh, happen. We're yeah. having a meeting tomorrow, as a matter of fact. I have lunch with the producer tomorrow. So Excellent. we'll... It should be. It's been an interesting. It's been an interesting journey for Dr. Garcia and myself. We became great friends. And we uh, have. Uh, we've. Uh, he's been wonderful to get to know, and and I want to see this make it to the screen. And yep. but we didn't set out to do that. I can tell you that it was just to tell the story. Yep. Oh, I love it. Keep us posted on that. Oh, this is so exciting. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to begin to wrap up, but I want to know what's next. What are you working on now? Well, I've, I've been working on a story. Uh, for a long time, about 14 years, and I, I got it the same way I told you earlier. Through uh, I was on vacation in Europe, and I'm working on a story about the the Knights Templar, but it's uh, it's titled the Ninth Templar. There were uh, nine original founding members of the Knights Templar, but the last guy, the ninth one, was kept anonymous by the founder Hugh Dupayan, and nobody uh, to this day. So it's an unsolved mystery of who was the Ninth Templar. Why, why was he? kept anonymous by the founders and not even the other knights knew who he was only the founder mm. and and of course they found allegedly they found something in the temple of solomon that uh freaked out the the catholic church and also the mon- monarchs at the time and uh, there was a friday the 13th uh october the 13th they were all uh, rounded up and uh and imprisoned as much as they arrested about 600 templars and then of course hung the leader and all of them about seven years later. So 
that's why we have the reputation or the bad luck of Friday the 13th. That's the day the Templars were all arrested. So I decided I wanted to write this mystery and discover uh, and tell the story of the untold mystery of the Knights Templar because there's, I think there's like four different mysteries that still are unsolved today. What, what did they find under the temple that freaked out the church and the monarchs? Um, and then, of course, what happened? Who was the Knights Templar? And then, of course, um, the founder, he disappeared in 1136, and nobody knows what happened to him and where he went. It was allegedly that he was killed, but, you know, we don't know that. And and then, of course, there's uh, why does all this matter to humanity? Why is it? Why is everybody so uh, fascinated with the Grail and the Templars? Because the, the Templars were uh, the ones that really brought the concept of the Holy Grail into being. Mm-hmm. So I, I weave you, I take you through a story of why all that, uh, just like this one, I expose all that and I give you a plausible uh, answer to what all those answers to those mysteries are, but they all remain to this day un- unsolved, and that's what hooked me. But that was my first uh, endeavor into fiction. That was 14 years ago, and every time I get ready to finish the book, Pat, I discover something new, and I have to put it in. <laughs> but I'm going to put it out next year. It's going to come out next year, so it'll be out next year. And um, it's really been a one of those journeys, just like the ghost that took me on a yep. surprising journey in my life, and uh, I. I just it just changed my life and all these stories they they seem to consume you and change your life without you even realizing what's going to happen to you oh I love that for you it's such a thank you yeah a life surprise that's so good I hope you can share that with us when it does come I will yeah. you know I will good 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 so anything we missed I'm sure there's I have loads more to talk about but we're going to begin <laughs> to wrap up so anything we missed you that you it. wanted to highlight you see you really I, I'll tell you you did a great intro and I, I mean uh very flattered the way you did that and everything, but I, you covered. I think you covered pretty much everything people need to know. They just need to read the book, yes. and, you know, and see uh, <laughs> see some of these things come on, unfold for them. Excellent. Well, then, if you will share contact information where folks can find out more about you, get copies of your books, wherever you want to take us is good. Of course, it's available on all major digital bookstores, including Amazon, as the Ghost of the Real Grande. Uh, and it has a website, I think it's uh, ghostofriograndé.com, uh, uh, which will take you to Amazon, I think, when you click on the buy or whatever, it takes you to Amazon. It kind of tells you the story of Dr. Garcia and myself in there, because I wanted to tell that story of how we met and stuff. But that's uh, it's pretty easy to find, and of course, you can go on Amazon and put my name in, and you'll find all my books, uh, and Ghost is the one I have featured and very prominent right now. Right. All righty. Well, we're speaking with Don Holbrook, the book, The Ghost of Rio Grande. You can find it at ghostofriograndé.com, Amazon, all the places where you are supposed to find quality books. Don, you are our treasure. This has just been a wonderful conversation. (laughs) Thank you you for sharing with us. Enjoy your life's journeys and please come back to us so we can perhaps do this again. Oh, thank you. I will. I'll, as soon as the next one comes out, Pat, I'll let you know it's historically based too, as you know, so I'll probably uh, send it to you to review. Yay, I'm looking forward to that. Thank you for today. Thank you. That was a wonderful interview. I think you did a great job. I can tell you're a pro at this. <laughs> I'm a little bit seasoned, huh? <laughs> yeah, you did a great job. Thank you. Thank you, Pat.